While Mayor Ford is no stranger to being the subject of several news stories, the events that have transpired over the past few months have made the Mayor of Toronto an international celebrity. A video that allegedly shows the Mayor of Canada's largest city smoking crack cocaine has generated headlines around the world. That's probably the first time the word crack cocaine has ever been used at this podium. <laughs> news of the video which was not produced by the journalists, has also raised questions, some of them for the first time in Canada, on the way in which journalists and newspapers gather and report on people and events. Ethical journalism continues to be increasingly salient, an increasingly salient issue as the topic remains at the forefront of Toronto's political and social landscape. Now, despite all of these reports and allegations, Mayor Ford recently has uh, returned a poll of 49% approval, suggesting that he's almost as popular now as he was in 2010. This, no doubt, raises additional questions of his reelectability. How far should journalists go? Where is that fine line? These sensational stories have made newspapers and uh, other media outlets millions of dollars. What is right? What is wrong? Who is right? Who is wrong? To explore those questions today, we are fortunate to have with us a panel of celebrated journalists who are not only directly engaged with this topic, but are authorities on the subject at hand. Christy Blatchford has written for all four Toronto-based newspapers. She has won a National Newspaper Award for column writing and in 2008 won the Governor General's Literary Award in Nonfiction. Christy is currently a National Post and Post Media columnist. Kevin Donovan is, an, is the investigative editor at the Toronto Star and a senior reporter. He has won the Michener Award for Public Service. By the way, Governor General Michener was a president of the Empire Club of Canada. He's won three National Newspaper Awards and three Canadian Association of Journalists Awards. Edward Keenan serves as the senior editor and lead columnist at The Grid Magazine in Toronto. An eight-time finalist at the National Magazine Awards, he was the top editor at iWeekly. He's a contributing editor at Spacing Magazine and writes widely on politics, sports, and culture. And finally, Lisa Taylor. She's good. She's a good one because she's a lawyer. She teaches at the uh, School of Journal Journalism at Ryerson University. She spent a decade with CBC Radio and Television, in a, wide, in a wide range of journalistic roles, including co-creator and host of two nationally broadcast series. Among many other courses, Lisa, a former lawyer, teaches law and ethics in the practice of journalism. Take it away, Mr. Keenan. Thank you. So, uh, thank you, Mr. President, members of the Empire Club. I'd like to thank you for inviting me and us to here today to talk about this topic uh, I work at the Grid magazine, which maybe people think is a hipster magazine. Uh, and at the risk of sounding like a hipster, I was into this Rob Ford stuff before anybody. Uh, <laughs> I uh, wrote a profile of him uh, in 2006, uh, at which point uh, we were already, those of us who were at City Hall, asking questions about, like, is this guy for real? Uh, and, and actually, immediately after I wrote that profile, I started getting asked questions getting asked questions about whether this type of coverage was fair. Uh, 
It's a question that I've been discussing with people for a long time that's recently become a worldwide subject of discussion, uh, whether, whether or not the kinds of stories that tend to appear about Rob Ford are fair to the mayor. And so I think, as, um, as we've already heard, the panel is really well positioned to discuss that. Uh, you know, we've been, I've, I've heard questions about fairness to the mayor about policy issues for a long time, transit and the budget and his relationship with labor unions. But I've also, for a long, long time, heard them about uh, stories that seem to be about his personal life. Uh, and at a certain point, it was when the Toronto Sun published his mugshot on the front of the paper during the campaign, or uh, when he was thrown out of a hockey game. Uh, and these stories continued after he became mayor, but they've become They've blown up, as we all know, in the last several months uh, because of the reports of a video that appears allegedly uh, to show him uh, smoking what appears to be crack cocaine, and then um, a series of investigations and, and crime stories, essentially, that surround the video or the circumstances under which this video became public. And we're lucky enough today to have one of the three people in the world who have publicly said that they've seen the video uh, that kicked off that scandal, uh, Kevin Donovan, with his colleague Robin Doolittle, who is also here, uh, reported, uh, vi viewed that video and reported on it, and that uh, kicked off the whole thing. So I thought it might be interesting to kick off this thing uh, by asking Kevin to tell us a little bit about the decision to publish that, the process of publishing it, um, and maybe that will lead us into some of these issues that we've been asked to discuss today. Kevin? Sure, thanks a lot, and thanks for having all of us here today. Uh, I'd like to start uh, by saying I wish I had the video, and if I had the video, we would have shown it uh, after that fabulous Empire Club video, but, uh, <laughs> but we're not there yet. Uh, a picture's worth a thousand words. I guess a video would be worth a thousand words, so I'll give you four words. The video is real. I saw it, Robin saw it. Do you notice the stir, Robin, when... Uh, People heard you were here. Uh, we saw it, and everybody would like to see it. Uh, just very briefly, how it all came about. Uh, uh, the Star has uh, been looking into activities of Mayor Rob Ford for quite some time. Uh, Rob and I published uh, a story uh, with the full backing of our editors uh, uh, in March uh, about the Garrison Ball and how Mayor Ford was asked to leave because he was incoherent, stumbling, uh, rambling, and clearly impaired. We wrote that story. That story prompted uh, a phone call uh, to, uh, to the Star uh, on April 1st, uh, interesting day. Uh, but it there was no fooling in what we were eventually told. We were told that there was a video of Mayor Ford, and uh, Robin and I, with the backing of our editors, set out to try and get that video. Uh, we, uh, we saw the video, we saw it three times, uh, as we've described in the pages of the Toronto Star. Uh, it is uh, absolutely real. Uh, I can guarantee you in my 30-year career, I've never seen anything uh, so, uh, so dramatic and uh, so upsetting as a person who uh, believes in this city and thinks that we need to have uh, good leaders in our city. We saw the video, we then set about trying to get it. We were not able to get it, but uh, Robin and I, with the help of uh, colleagues at the Star, began reporting out the story, trying to find out what we could find out about the people behind it. Uh, and in the midst of doing that, uh, Gawker, the US website, published a story. Uh, I think it was about uh, 8.15 PM uh, on a day in May. And uh, Michael Cook, our wonderful boss, uh, summoned all of us in. I think I was on a soccer field coaching at that time. 
And uh, uh, we all came into the star, a whole bunch of us, uh, everybody who's at our table here today, and uh, we got to work. Uh, we contacted the, the mayor. We tried to get comments uh, from everybody involved. Uh, we were hung up by the mayor's chief of staff. Uh, we received no comment from the mayor. We took a letter to his house, to his brother's house. It was classic forward lack of response. We did everything we could uh, in that three-hour period to try and get a response. We felt uh, that we had no choice with this news already blazing around the world about the existence of this video to tell what we had seen, what Robin and I saw. Uh, and it was very clear that we had to publish that story, and we did. Uh, and since that, uh, all of us, uh, including my uh, great colleague Jamie Poisson, who's here, uh, many other people at the Star, uh, my whole investigative team has been involved in it, uh, working on doing stories and publishing more stories. Uh, one of the best is simply the story about how the mayor's uh, uh, people close to him were trying to find the video. Why do you try and find a video if a video doesn't exist? Okay, so that that leads to a lot of questions. I think some for journalists and some uh, that especially occur to people who are not professional journalists. So one of those is that um, you were working on a story, you were still working on it. So there may be an assumption some people make that if you're still working on it, it's not ready to go yet. Uh, but it became ready to go immediately when Gawker uh, published their similar report. Why is that that you're suddenly more confident? Or can, can you explain to people? I think I have an understanding of it, but can we talk a little bit about that decision to publish before you were, you were entirely ready to publish? Well, we were still trying to get the video. That was what was going on. We had... Uh, we held out a lot of hope that through some sort of moral suasion, we could get uh, these people to turn over the video. As I'm sure many of you know, they were asking uh, a great deal of money for it. The Toronto Star was not prepared to pay for that. Uh, we thought there might be another uh, a copy of the video uh, out there. And uh, so that's what we were trying to do. But when Gawker published its story, uh, we already had, Robin and I had seen uh, the video. And I was thinking, Christy, you um, have been uh, on many overseas assignments. Uh, you've been to Afghanistan, I've been to Afghanistan. We've seen things, and we've written about them because we saw, we've seen them. And long before there was video and there was uh, you know, instant uh, ability to email a, a digital image, that's what journalists have been doing. We've been traveling around the world uh, looking at things. So we felt that because Gawker had published its story and, and put it out there, we would be remiss in not saying, we saw this too. And the only thing thing in that story that I think people miss is that we're saying it's Mayor Rob Ford. We're saying he, uh, he is smoking what appears to be crack cocaine. That is the one thing that we can't prove because, as his lawyer told us that night, how do you know what somebody's smoking when you're looking at a video? That, the issue here is, what's he smoking? <coughs> we described how he was acting, how he was uh, incoherent, uh, uh, rambling, appeared to be impaired. Trust me. The man was impaired. I just don't know what got him impaired. Now, this is this is something you just touched on it, and I was kind of surprised by the the volume of people uh, and the volume at which they said it, saying that essentially, if you can't produce a video, then there's no story. And and that to me is never how journalism has worked. I can produce a video of very few of the things I write about. I, I go and I'm an eyewitness. Sometimes I record interviews. I try to record interviews. Sometimes I have uh, my notes of what happened. But I very seldom can produce uh, a video. <coughs> like, Christy, in your understanding, is that, 
if you don't have the proof, should you that that kind of proof? Uh, well, I think it's the it's a function of the modern world. I mean, we didn't used to deal in things like video. Kevin's quite right. People would rely on journalists to be the eyewitnesses. Um, that's what our function is. I, I, and I don't disagree mm. with you that there was a large volume of people, there still is, I think, who say, well, if you don't have the video, it's not true. I absolutely believe, of course. I mean, I know Kevin and Robin's reputations. I know how, what good journalists they are. I know absolutely there's a video, or there was, and that you saw what you saw. But I think for journalists, it posed a really interesting uh, conundrum because how do you report on something that you haven't seen? I mean, when I witness a battle in Afghanistan, I write about it. Uh, you could not match the story. You couldn't because you weren't there. Um, and similarly, it used to be that when a journalist had a scoop or an exclusive and the other journalists couldn't develop a similar story on their own, they couldn't match it doesn't seem to matter anymore. So for journalism, the, for journalists, the ground is somewhat shifting because now with this story, I'm writing about something third hand. I have no sources. I mean, some of the people since your first story, uh, the Toronto Sun has actually done some really good work uh, on the other aspects of it. Uh, the Globe and Mail, as you may know, has done some other work. Um, let me just say on that, if anybody went to my high school, it wouldn't take them 18 frigging months to come up with bad stuff about me. <laughs> the only thing I disagree with when you said that Toronto Sun has done good work, because I haven't seen a single good piece of journalism out of Warmington. No, I'm not talking about Warmington. I'm talking about San Pisano on the court side, because they've followed some of the Project Traveler. It's a big police project, which is linked to an address, which is linked to the video. Um, but I'm, I'm getting a bit sidetracked. I mean, some journalists were able to develop their own stories in the wake of the first star series of stories on this, but most of us, frankly, can't. I mean, oddly, as an old white broad, my connections, you know, in drug-dealing neighborhoods aren't really terrific, right? And I think many of us are in similar straits. So instead, I'm writing about a video which I know absolutely existed, which you guys saw, but I've never seen. Now it looks like I'm never going to see. And yet I'm, I'm kind of asking my readers to trust me because I trust you. And I think that's odd. Yeah, I mean, that, now that's... Sorry, th back there, is, my there are so many things in there because that I'm asking readers to trust me because I trust the source of information yeah. is something that often comes up with anonymous sources. They're not anonymous to me when, when, or to, to most journalists who use them. Uh, the journalists know who those people are. They right. have a reason to trust their credibility, and so they use their own credibility as a stand-in. They say, I can't tell you who this is, but trust me, this is good information. Um, and, and we're all sort of using you as a, not an anonymous source, but a, a source we trust because, because we can't see the video. But, but, uh, but, but they were the witnesses, Yeah. and I'm <clears throat> trying to bootstrap onto your viewing by matching a story, if I were to try and do that. I'm bootstrapping on your credibility. You were the witness, not me. And it's just, it's a weird kind of third-hand reporting that right. makes me uneasy. But uh, Gordon Sinclair, for example, famous uh, Toronto Star and uh, uh, CBC journalist, uh, traveled around the world and he saw things. And he saw things before there was video. And he wrote about them. He bore witness. That's what journalists do. But his I colleagues back home weren't matching it and saying, Gordon well, wrote about this. You That's know what? The they difference. probably did. No, I, think I don't they think they did. did. There's I a tradition of disagree. following stuff that the Toronto Star writes, I find. 
I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm but, just kidding. But, but you know what? Beyond that, I think um, Peter, Peter C. Newman had an anecdote about a big story he broke about a confidential document. And I heard him speak about it, and so I actually didn't have access to the details. But his story of how he got access to that confidential document is that he was in, invited to a cabinet minister's home. Uh, it was illegal to share this document. This person could be charged uh, for showing it to him. But so what he did is that uh, he invited him into his office and said, you know, oh, I have the documents here. I actually can't show them to you. It's illegal for me to show them to you. But I do have uh, a meeting I have to take in the next room for the next uh, hour or so. So if you can just sit tight here while I go. And then he left him in the room with the document, right? And, and now Peter Newman didn't take photographs of that document. He didn't uh, have original copies of it. He didn't have photocopies. He wrote notes based on reading it himself and reported that. And the rest of the press would accept as a fact. Uh, now, they would try to follow it by confirming or denying that this document exists, that it said this, and all of that. But, but the rest of the press, traditionally, if there's a report that's not, that factuality is not seriously in question, then, then we, can, we don't necessarily just re-report it, but we accept it as a fact for the ongoing not, conversation, not, not right? Not to the degree that no? happened here. I mean, I, you know, I've broken plenty of stories mm. in my day uh, which were not as big as this, but were substantial. I mean, I'm thinking of a story about a former police board member named Arnold Miners, who was also a race relations consultant for the Barbary government, which was my favorite time of the year, or famous <laughs> decade. Um, and anyway, this guy was teaching Crown attorneys that the Holocaust wasn't a racist act because it hadn't been committed against black people. And I wrote about it, and I wrote lots of stories about it, and no one at the star ever matched it. No one at, at the Globe ever matched it. No one could because they didn't have the sources that I did, the Crown Attorney, who ultimately came to testify in my defense uh, in the lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. So there are plenty of stories where they would never catch fire the way that this one did. Now, partly it caught fire because of its subject matter. Yes. You know, the crack cocaine mayor, blah, blah, blah. But the other part of it was this thing, this new thing, where we are now relying on somebody else. That's all. Anyway, we, maybe we're getting sidetracked. I didn't mean to... Uh, no, that's, that's but, okay. But uh, to what extent were journalists um, from other news organizations not necessarily reporting on the allegations themselves, but reporting on the circus that was generated as a result of that? I mean, the day after day of the mayor acting as if it were business as usual, as if there was... <laughs> Don't know what you're all doing here. This comes as such a surprise. Um, you know, and then finally, the, the pseudo-denial um, that felt like something that perhaps someone's you know, child might do when they get into trouble. You know, I am not currently doing this, so trust me. You know, <laughs> we're done. Um, I think a lot of the stories were, at least at first, as other news organizations rather tentatively and holding their noses got into this story, were much more about, is he going to say it? Is he going to acknowledge it? What's he going to say about it? Well, and there's... I mean, this raises another issue that's part of this, which is uh, whether wh where the line is between what's his personal business and what's the public's business. And I think uh, for many people, the idea of crack cocaine, because it's crack, it's that street drug that people, you know, they get addicted to it right away, right? You can't just be a casual crack user. But, but when we talk about substance abuse, when we talk about alcohol abuse, when we talk about crack cocaine, it seems like... Uh, these could be considered personal problems that a public figure could have that might not influence how they do their job. Um, and even to the extent that we report on the distraction, the circus around that, his refusal to deny this, or his whatever, um, 
if you believe at stage one that this is something that shouldn't be reported on or that we don't really have a, the public doesn't really have an interest in, then the rest of those things are media created. And so when we talk about whether we're treating, creating the, treating the mayor fairly, maybe that's part of uh, the question that people ask is, is this a legitimate matter of public interest? How do we decide that? But I, I think what, what we try to do at the Toronto Star is deal with issues where it, it would or does appear to impact on his public life. Um, there are pieces of information that we have that we're not publishing because we consider them, at least for now, to be more about his private life. Uh, the Garrison Ball, that the story that Rob and I did that got this particular phase of of the Mayor Ford juggernaut going uh, was a, a very public uh, uh, event. It was a, it's a, the Garrison Ball. It's a very important event in Toronto. It raises money for uh, wounded warriors, uh, and uh, many people, uh, perhaps even some people who were here, were, were in, in attendance. And uh, at five, six o'clock in the afternoon, you don't want uh, the chief official of the city to be acting in, in a manner that ultimately gets him removed from the, from the place. If somebody wants to go to their cottage and kick back and, I guess, have some crack, uh, whatever you, you might do, we're not going to be doing that. We're not going to be looking in, into that. But we are looking into things that are public events. And, uh, and when you go, when you're a public person and uh, you've signed on to be a public person, there is a certain decorum. And I think that's really, really important. And you have to behave yourself. And... Uh, when you go to an event, you just cannot uh, be seen to be anything other than uh, uh, a person to be respected. And I think that's what we focused on. Uh, and, and That's and why I voted for Rob Ford, frankly. Just because, because he's more fun? Because of the, and I am more rare than you. You're one of three people who's seen the video. I'm, how many will admit to voting for Rob Ford? <laughs> I thought not. Um, so, and by the way, regretted it immediately, but nonetheless. <laughs> and part of the reason, though, was that he, he isn't part of this sort of prissy kind of sense that, oh, one must behave. I mean, I'm a person who used to take my top off on tables in bars. Sometimes in the presence of some star editors, I believe. So I'm just saying, you know, we are we are we are the least likely group of moral sort of we shouldn't be trying to uphold anybody's you know saying you must behave in a certain manner and you must always be that's it's all that stuff it wasn't actually rob ford i voted for it was a reaction to that kind of horrible what i regard as horrible prissiness so anyway sorry <laughs> well i i mean i think I'm not expressing myself well. Today. No, but I, I don't think you're alone in that because I think actually, it's interesting. You you once in a column, and I, I don't I don't recall the exact wording. I'm sorry, but you you had an analogy that's sort of like he's always been the fat girl at Holt Renfrew asking where the plus size section yeah, is, right? Um, that's right. And it's it's a big part of his brand though that it he's is. like just folks, uh, and. He says things that a lot of people think are outrageous, and he doesn't observe the social niceties. Um, and that drives a lot of people nuts. I mean, when we talk about whether he's being treated fairly or not, he sort of gets, we all accept that Rob Ford's word is that I'm an outsider, and I have outsider stuff, yep. outsider attitudes uh, that may shock you, 
but I just as who I is, right? Um, and, but, I, and, and the person. But the thing is, is that he was also he's a, he's a fat girl who's been shopping at Holt yeah. Renfrew since the day he was born, right? Yeah. His, his father was a member of provincial parliament and successful business owner. He's friends with the finance minister of Canada. He the the guy has never wanted for anything in his life, ex but. And, yeah, I, and it's how he's designed his brand, though, that has made certain things that might be off limits in the case of another politician to be within what I would consider to be fair game here. Um, I bet you most people in this room don't know the age or name of Stephen Harper's children because that is not part of his brand. Okay. Some would, some would. That is not part of his brand. Rob Ford has positioned himself as that guy, that loud, fun guy at hockey games, um, the guy who wants to talk publicly about his weight. So you talk publicly about your weight, but then you're distressed when others do. You talk about how your family is salt of the earth um, in Etobicoke, but then when someone points out that you're not, it's not fair game. So if you use those other aspects of your life, you know, it's no different than an American politician or nine that we've seen present themselves as being the family values candidates. Then it makes it fair game when we find out that they are anything but the family values type. Right, but see, this is uh, a lot of people will remember in the election during which Rob Ford was elected mayor, one of the early prominent—I don't know that he was actually a poll-leading candidate, but a prominent candidate—David uh, Miller's chosen heir apparent was Adam Jambroni, uh, who Splendid. resigned for cheating on his girlfriend. Right? Yeah. This is what happened, is that it was front page news in the star. Uh, they had this anti-Jambroni vendetta, famously. No, wait, that's Rob Ford. Um, but, uh, but I, think his, I think his offense was yeah. that he stained the couch in his office. Yeah, Misuse of city property was the problem. But, and he lied about it. He has made his girlfriend a big part of his... Uh, I mean, many, many people could not name Rob Ford's wife. I, I could, but I've never seen her. I've yeah, never met her. I've seen her at public events twice. But... Um, because that's not part of his thing. But mm -hmm. being a screw-up certainly is, right? The first time we heard about him, many people heard about him, was this hockey game. Then we see his mugshot. He, he liked... The, so, yeah, maybe we've already accepted that. But does that make it more or less a matter of public interest when he does things that feed into that? I don't know. I, I think one of the things that people should try and recall is how many times Mayor Rob Ford has, has ever answered questions uh, and it's, at least as far as I'm concerned, the Toronto Star is zero times that we have ever had any response from him on any of this uh, for, for the years. I think the last real mea culpa he did was related to, and I think it was the Post that did the story on him at the ACC. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said he wasn't there, and it turns out he was there, and he apologized, and he's made some mistakes in his life. Uh, so that's that was in 2005, I 2005? think. 2005? It was either 2005 or early 2006, because it was prior to my, my extended meeting with him. So. And, and my feeling is that he does not want to engage with us at all. And I think it's very clever on his part that he does not engage with us, because if he did and he started trying to explain things, uh, then the onion would really start to, to unravel. And he won't do that. They will not respond to any questions. And when you think of, of uh, politicians, uh, we do demand that they respond to us, and I think that is, is very important. Uh, and, and I think they have to, because uh, we're paying them to lead our cities or our provinces or our governments, and they have to respond, and he won't. I think, I, I think we should put this all, though, in some real politic kind of background sense, too. I think there's no question that Kevin and Robin's stories have been fair, uh, et cetera, but I think it's 
disingenuous to pretend that it happened in a vacuum. editorially, the star was aghast, as were most of my friends that rob ford even had the fucking temerity to run for mayor. how can you imagine? i mean, really, that's what it was like. and it's certainly all my friends and my little running group the next morning, all good toronto liberals, were just mortified. it was most delightful, actually, when he won that one morning before he actually did anything. Um, so there, there was that sort of sense of, you know, the, the Toronto uh, establishment, if you like, you know, people like y'all uh, and me um, were, were regarded him as a clown from the get-go. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I, I'm just trying to put it in. It's not as though the Toronto Star, in a Atkinsonian principle sense, decided that we're going to take the high road and look at this guy, etc. And the star has, and other papers have sometimes been unfair to him. I mean, posting a picture of him sneaking into Kentucky Fried Chicken, taken by posting or talking about pictures of him that were taken when he bought a Mickey at the liquor store. I mean, quite frankly, he may be a public figure, but I think that is going too far. Okay, but but he he was in the middle of a. The star did not put a circus-sized scale outside mm. of his office. And, and publicize his attempts to lose weight. And actually, the star didn't decide that that would be the only time of any given week that he would ever talk to the press, right? So it's like this weight loss issue becomes something that the Ford brothers, and they really did decide that issue together, decide is of public interest, yep. right? They've made it an issue of public interest. And then I think the Sun actually as well posted that same video of the Kentucky Fried Chicken, which. Yeah, I, but it's interesting. You, you use the word circus, and that's really interesting because when the cut the weight waste challenge was finally shut down, Doug Ford disparagingly said, "Oh, it's just turned into a circus." Well, yeah, because you did, in fact, put the circus tent just outside uh, outside the door. Um, journalists are have a finely tuned nose for evidence of hypocrisy. Oh, um, please. <laughs> hello. Hello. Um, you know, when we, we, we all know that we <laughs> do too. We all know that Barack Obama um, has struggled with um, with smoking cigarettes. Seems kind of light given smoking crack, but still with smoking cigarettes. Um, but we've never ever heard of him calling up other world leaders and saying, hey, let's have a butt out challenge. It'll be so fun, guys. That was his personal issue. And he kept it a personal issue. So you can't take something as public as this. You can't, um, you can't, and it's one that's always troubled me, speak disparagingly of social programs after the Danzig Street shooting and saying, I'm just not into hug-a-thug programs. And then later be seen in a photograph hugging a thug. Well, I mean, <laughs> The, the thing is, is that, and this, this, when we ask the question about whether the mayor is being treated fairly, that photograph is actually a good example because uh, there is a photograph that was provided to Gawker and to the Toronto Star as evidence that a video <coughs> existed before you saw it, I think, by the same person who showed them the video. And in that photograph, there is uh, one young man who has been shot dead in a sort of execution-style shooting, another young man who was shot at the same time but survived and who is now under arrest during a, a gang and guns raid, another young man who is also under arrest, um, and then there's the mayor of Toronto, right? And, and so the circumstances under which the press came to own this photo or have this photo and the circumstances under which it's taken are maybe questions that we'd ask the mayor. And there could be innocent, innocent explanations like, I was visiting my old high school friend there at that house it was taken in front of, and these guys were walking by and asked me to take a photo. But no explanation is offered, right? And so even when bigger and bigger questions that seem maybe more concerning uh, 
come up, he still refuses to address the questions which, so it's easy to imagine an innocent explanation, but that innocent explanation is never provided. And so, I mean, in, in fairness to the press, I think you have to, do, do we have to read something into the fact that he won't explain himself? Because that's, that's the defining element of Rob Ford as mayor to me, is that he refuses to explain sure, himself. Sure, but from the get-go, he's, he's the architect of his own demise in so many ways. I mean, he won't speak to the star. Does he still not speak to anybody from the star? I assume yes, not. He doesn't make his schedule public, uh, which is something he should do. In my view, every mayor should be holding weekly, wide-ranging press conferences where you know, if you did it every week, maybe they wouldn't always be asking you about the cracked video. Maybe there'd be other issues. So there's no question he's, he's created the atmosphere, but I think that doesn't lessen the burden upon all of us to try and still be fair to him. Just because he's, a, you know, he, he's created, uh, you know, as they say in Quebec, he's created the conditions that allow us to, uh, to have a field day with him. But I, I still think we have a responsibility to do, not do things like run pictures of him at KFC. I mean, in that story, I agree he created the, the conditions, but the scales told the tale, as they always do, with weight loss. He was, he was cheating. Do it's, we have to have pictures of him cheating? Go ahead, Kevin. I just want to go back about five minutes to the comment uh, that I can't let pass that the Toronto Star has a vendetta against Rob Ford. We don't. I didn't say that. No, no, not you, oh, not you, not okay. you. Uh, <laughs> well, who made it then? I don't think I said that. Anyway, let's say it was in the air. Yeah. It was definitely in the air. Yeah, it was that, in the that air. That people think that the Toronto Star or perhaps other media have a, a vendetta. Uh, let me just give you a little cook's tour of our, of our newsroom. There is no sign that says, here's who we're going to get this week or this month. Uh, uh, people always think that about journalists, that we are given marching orders. Um, I, I run our investigative team. I've got uh, uh, great uh, people on the team. We investigate all sorts of things. Uh, we did a big investigation a couple of years ago on Orange Air Ambulance, which some of you may have read. Uh, it was something very much in the public interest. A lot of other media covered it. A lot of good things happened as a result. Uh, I was the one who, who ran that and did most of the reporting on it. And I wasn't out to get Chris Mazza or Orange or the Liberal government. I happened to end up, by doing my stories, make them all look really, really poorly. And the stories that we're doing now on Mayor Ford uh, started in this, the, the way that all good journalism starts. You maybe write a, a story, as we did, and, and uh, Robin Doolittle gets a call uh, suggesting we look into something. It happens to be a crack video of the mayor. Uh, we'd be fired, I, I would hope, if we hung up the phone and said we're not interested in that. Uh, and just one other comment, which has come to my mind in the last few weeks, uh, is that I would much rather be here uh, answering questions, uh, as I'm always happy to do about this, than answering questions in 20 years from people saying, why didn't you uh, look into these matters? Uh, because that is really important. That is the job of, of journalists, and really all of us in society, uh, to question power. I think people I, lose I, sight of that. Sorry, just one thing. Just, people lose sight of that because journalism is in such a crisis of credibility right now, a huge crisis. But I just want to point out, and I, I believe you two will back me up on this, you three will back me up on this. 
I think people believe that journalists are very cavalier about deciding to advance a story based on anonymous sources, based on evidence that they cannot hand over. If you don't, if you've never done journalism, you can't imagine how much journalists don't want to do that because they know that on some level their credibility is going to take some degree of hit. Maybe only in certain circles on the periphery, but people don't want that. And reasonable news organizations do not allow that to happen unless they've reported the hell out of the story otherwise and are really confident. But now, I don't know if I the would public just knows that. Say that, and I think we're almost out of time. So, um, but uh, but I did want to say that it, to that exact question of like trying to be fair is that I I know many members of the press gallery at our city hall do bend over backwards. And there's one anecdote I I was covering before this whole Generally crack scandal speaking, spoke up. An effort to be fair to the mayor. Uh, Sorry. No, but uh, the mayor was. Uh, <laughs> on trial for conflict of interest. He could have been removed from office from that. And we watched his full day of testimony. And we were all outside, and it was sort of devastating to watch because he offered no real defense of himself. He, he, it, was, it was a spectacle. And one of, I was talking to a couple other people, and, and there were two journalists, like reporters from the dailies, who came up, and they were both sort of had to file immediate reports. And they were just like, can you think of any way I can present this that doesn't look like I'm running a hatchet job on the mayor? Right? Because the truth appears to be a hatchet job, right? Like if I just report what I saw, sure. my credibility is going to take a hit. And I find that that's often the case with the mayor. I, I agree. I think it is. And I, anybody who thinks, you know, newspapers are organized enough to, you know, have uh, targets with people and goals to bring somebody down is, is foolish. Most organizations don't, and we don't either. However, I still don't think that gets us entirely away from the fact that um, and it's not an agenda, it's, it's nothing like that, but I think that we can make the case that the press has gone over the top, and I would say exhibit one in that regard would be the STARS coverage of an Ontario Press Council hearing a little while ago, which was basically given World War III coverage. Every fucking nuance of the... Rosie DeMano, who, like me, is from, you know, another planet, actually tweeted for the first time in her <laughs> life. And the next morning, the sun came up in the West. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so because, you know, uh, I mean, that coverage was excessive. So if you, if you all, and us all, we all, want to keep our credibility intact, we have to be careful not to... I've been a member of the Ontario Press Council. This had hearings into the complaints about unfair coverage against the Star and the Globe. And, you know, it was a fairly brief proceeding, I, I believe, at least the Globe part of it was. And uh, it's a serious proceeding. I took it seriously when I was a member, and I think it was well deserving of coverage. What it wasn't deserving of was the blow by blow. They're walking in the room now, you know. I mean, really? It's a press council hearing. So okay. that's so, Exhibit A. So we're actually but out of we're time. Trying to be transparent. I mean, the press council is an important organization. You guys They've never cover it ordinarily. Give me a break. We always cover it. We cover no, when we're uh, when you're being slapped. Okay. Sure. Okay, so yeah. we're actually out of time. So, but in conclusion, here, there's a few things, which is that this debate, uh, like the rest of the Rob Ford story, is is not finished yet, uh, even if our event is, and that um, that. You know, you can play a 300-point type on the front page, and it's good for business, right? Whether or not it's good for the city, well, whether or not it's fair. I don't know if it's good for journalism. I don't know if it's good for journalism. No. But I think Rob Ford sells papers. That's not, my experience. Not enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to all of you for being here, and to Mr. President for having us.
I forgot to, before I, I call upon MJ to do the thank you, I forgot to mention to our speakers that uh, every word that is said at the Empire Club of Canada <laughs> is transcribed and then later put into our red book that is, that is then sent to every embassy in the world and every library in Canada. And I, I can assure you that the following statements have never been in this book in 110 years. I just is who I is. I'm an old white broad who can't score crack. A fat girl at Holt Renfrew. I voted for Rob Ford. He stained the couch in his office. Fucking temerity. Barack Obama does not smoke crack, but he smokes cigarettes. And finally, the Toronto Star is not responsible for the circus-sized scale outside the mayor's office. All of that will be put in the book, and we thank you very much for your time here. MJ. Before I thank our guests, I would like to thank one of my board colleagues who was unable to be here today. Stephen Hewitt put a lot of work into this event and unfortunately was unable to join us. Um, the press is said to be the fourth estate and also represent the values of the society. And those values are constantly changing. In Canada, from when Joseph Howe first went to court to prove it was more important for a journalist to tell the truth than to respect an elected official. All the way through to today's events, um, think back of how Sir John A. Macdonald was reported, how we didn't hear that much about Maggie Trudeau when she was still married to the Prime Minister. But as values change and as we find them sometimes conflicting, that's when we have to make the decisions and we have to make those hard decisions of how we will proceed in an ethical manner. Thank you to the four of you for helping us just do a little bit of that beginning of proceeding, of deciding where do our values lie and how do we want them to go forward and reflect who our leaders are and therefore reflect who we are. Thank you all so very much for being at the Empire Club of Canada today. Finally, I'd like to thank Mr. Discount for sponsoring our student table this afternoon. I'd like to thank the National Post as our print media sponsor. We'll have to check the ethics on that one. Uh, thank you to Van Valkenburg for providing our AV. This meeting will be cared and aired on Rogers TV, and we're very grateful for their ongoing support. We're on Twitter, and we're on Facebook, and we have our web address, which is empireclub.org. Thank you all for coming. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This meeting of the Empire Club of Canada is now adjourned.